Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32, down through verse 37. I will read in Spanish and you'll read in... No, I'm teasing. Okay, 1 Samuel 17. I'll begin in verse 32 and then you all will read the odd-numbered verses without my help. Do your best to stay together, okay? Uh, I'll read the even-numbered, you'll read the odd-numbered. The Bible says, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I... Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. The title of this sermon this morning is Stand with Courage. That's our, it's been our, our series, Stand with Courage. We're going to look at the life of King David the life of King David. We're going to see how he stood with courage here with uh, Goliath. Uh, But boy, things didn't go so well a little bit later in his life. We'll get into that part of it here in a few minutes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving us stories in the Bible that help drive home truths. And Lord, the Bible is not just a book of philosophy and a book of rules. It's a book of examples. And thank you for those illustrations and examples. Lord, thank you for helping to pull back the curtain on the life of those uh, in, uh, that have gone before us, and allowing us to see the, the victories as well as the defeats. And Lord, help us to take much from the message today and apply it to our lives. Help us today to, to commit that we would take a stand for what's right in a dark world, and we would do so with boldness and courage. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning, we looked at the fourth sermon of our series, Stand with courage. And uh, this, these are the sermons we've looked at to date. Just quickly by way of review, we've talked about the Christian's fear. We, folk, we talked about how a Christian ought to fear God and God alone, not fear man and what man can do unto me or any other thing for that matter. Our fear is to be found in God. Uh, we looked at the Christian's focus and talked about how that what we focus on, we ultimately end up fearing. And our focus needs to be on God. Then we looked at the Christian's fortress. We talked about, we looked at Psalm 91 and talked about how that our fortress needs to be the Lord God Almighty. We need to hide in Him and abide in Him and find our comfort in Him during the times where it feels like we're under spiritual assault and in a spiritual war. And then last week, we looked at the Christian's future. We talked about the rapture that's coming. How that one day the trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first and those which are alive and remain shall be uh, caught up together to be with the Lord. uh, Or rather, so shall we ever be with the Lord. And we looked at the fact that heaven is going to be a very long time. And if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus to be your Savior, the future is bright. The future is bright. Um, And so what I plan on doing with each sermon series this year on Sunday mornings is to drive home the truths that we covered in the series by way of a Bible character. So the first uh, series of the year was Stand With Conviction. Stand With Conviction. And we looked at the story of Queen Esther at the end of that sermon series. You all remember the sermon out of the book of Esther. You all awake this morning? Say amen if you're awake this morning. If you didn't say amen, I assume you're asleep. Amen. Um, and so we looked at the life of Queen Esther. And so now we're going to take these four truths, fear, focus, uh, fortress, and future, and we're going to talk about um, King David and how they related to his life. Uh, David was a man of great courage. And the Bible says he was a man of war. He fought on behalf of his country to defend his country. He fought against those who were attacking his God and the armies of his God. And he got that start at a very young age. In fact, he got that start here in First 
Samuel 17. David's life can be defined by two different people. In fact, when you hear David and, commonly you'll hear two, one of two names that follow. The first one, David and Goliath. And then the second name you think of is David and Bathsheba. Bathsheba. David's life can be broken down into Goliath and everything that revolved in his life around that. And Bathsheba and everything bad that revolved in his life because of that. And we're going to see that these four things, fear, focus, fortress, and future, were at play both times. And with Goliath, he got it right. With Bathsheba, he got it very, very wrong. And I just want to say by way of introduction that life can be very messy. Life can be very messy. How many of you that have been saved for a while, you know what it's like to be a backslidden Christian? You know what it's like to be backslidden. You know what that means? That doesn't just mean that you go from the front pew to the back pew in the church. That's not what that means. That means that you were making progress for the Lord and you slid backwards in that progress. Um, Boy, David knew what it was like to be backslidden. He sure did. David saw the highs and the lows. And David's high was really, really, really high. David's low was really, really, really low. Now, when you hear a sermon like this, for many people, it's easy to fall into the trap of, well, I've never done what David did, so this doesn't apply to me. And I just want to say, don't fall into that trap. While you maybe haven't done what David did, or you may never do what David did when it comes to Bathsheba and Uriah, um, you very well can backslide just on a lesser scale. And we want to try to avoid that. When we backslide, we, do, we no longer stand with courage. We stumble into defeat. So young David had his eyes on a future that God had for him, and good things happened as a result. King David had his eyes on a present that he wanted for himself, and bad things happened as a result. Hebrews chapter number 12, verses 1 and 2. Listen closely to these verses. And if you're familiar with them, listen on purpose, okay? The Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about or surrounded by such... by, by uh, Let me begin again. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Well, that's beautiful, isn't it? Now listen to verse 2. This is the key. Looking unto Jesus. The author, that means he authored our faith, and the finisher of our faith. The author, the one who begins it, and the one who finished it. Looking unto Jesus. You know, if you have your eyes locked on your future in Jesus, your life is going to be good. Everything else sort of falls in order. The verse goes on to say about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. David was a courageous man who stood for God when his eyes were locked on the future that God had in store for his life. David lost his courage and did some pretty slimy things when he became focused on himself. Christian. If you're going to stand for Jesus, our theme this year, stand for Jesus, then you're going to need to get some great courage. Let's look at the life of David and see what happened when he stood with courage and what happened when he stumbled into corruption. The sermon this morning will have two main points and then four sub-points below each point. Let's jump in and notice point number one, a courageous kid. A courageous kid. Say, uh, uh, let's see, David was just a child uh, when he would fight Goliath. How old was David? He was very, very young. Very young. Probably a teenager. He was so young that he was not even a candidate for Saul's army. Look at First Samuel 17 and look at verse number 33. The Bible says, And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth, and he, Goliath, a man of war from his youth. 
So I, I, I don't know that I counted, but I've read this chapter several times in preparation for this message and just several times beyond that. David is called a youth five, six, seven times in this chapter. Um, Saul was pointing at his youth, his youth, his youth. In fact, toward the end of the chapter, after David defeats Goliath, um, Paul refers to him as a stripling, a stripling. Now, that's not a word we use anymore, uh, but that implies he was just a little guy, right? A kid, a child. Um, So David is this little guy, and David was going against this giant. Now, I I, want to do something here to kind of get you stimulated, because we all know the story of David and Goliath. I don't think there's a person in the room that doesn't know, at least generically, you may not know every detail, but I think everyone in here knows the story of David and Goliath. But I think that we forget that David did not know the story of David and Goliath. You understand what I'm saying here? Going into it, David didn't know that he was going to be the the Cinderella story. Amen? March Madness is coming. How many of you like the NCAA tournament? The Cinderella story, right? Um, They didn't know. uh, Every time I watch this and, you know, you have some... 13 seed that beats some, what do they play, the three seed. Every time that you have some 13 seed beat the three seed, you know, they'll call them the Cinderella story, the David beat the Goliath. But David did not know that he was necessarily the outcome from the beginning. So I want to do something for you here. Put that picture up there with the Joe. Um, Here we got David on the left. There in the middle to scale is Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille O'Neal is seven foot one, I believe. Goliath was nine feet six inches tall. Now, um, uh, Erlon, would you stand up for me, my friend? Actually, could, come up here real quick. I'm not going to make you say anything. Erlon just started coming to our church a few months ago. We've enjoyed him. How tall are you, Erlon? Okay, now I feel like a midget next to this guy. All right, I think brother, I think you got brother Scarpetti by a little bit. Maybe it's the way you do your hair, but um, yeah, you got brother Scarpetti by hair a little bit there. Um, Shaquille O'Neal is five inches taller than him, and Goliath was two feet five inches taller than Shaquille O'Neal. Thank you, everyone. You can take a seat. Um, I think I'd want to walk in that valley. And I have anything to do with that guy. Now, I've played basketball with some guys that were, you know, 6'11", 7' tall. But most guys that are that tall are clumsy. You know, they kind of trip all over themselves. And uh, I've seen guys that are 7 feet tall that can't make a layup. And, you know, when you put, you're 7 feet tall and you put your hands up, you can just about touch the rim. How do you miss a layup? Right? And I really, you know, or they want to shoot three-pointers. They don't even want to uh, get, get by the hoop there. Excuse all the basketball references. I'm excited uh, the tournament's coming. Amen. Um, but uh, you have Goliath here, and you have David here. And David really had no right, from a war standpoint, being down there in that valley facing Goliath. Goliath was one big guy. Goliath was not a clumsy, trip over his own two feet, seven or nine foot, six inch tall guy. The Bible says he was a skilled warrior. A skilled warrior. He was coordinated. He was as coordinated as, as anyone. He was capable of war. And David had no war experience, but David was going to take him on and ultimately defeat him. Notice letter A. David had his eyes locked on his future. His future. King Saul had uh, led the Israeli army into battle with the Philistines. Three of David's older brothers are there. So Jesse, David's father, sends David with food and supplies as well to get an update on things. So David's just saying the reason that to take food um, to his brothers and find out how the war is going. I'm sure Jesse was curious. He wanted to know. So David leaves his sheep in the wilderness and he goes on to check on his brothers. As David arrives, he realizes that there isn't really a whole lot going on. There's a stalemate, if you will. You have over here on this mountain, you've got the um, the Philistine army. And over here you have the Israeli army. And they're, they're not doing a whole lot, except every now and then, maybe two or three times a day, uh, Goliath would come down in the valley between the two armies. He'd beat his chest. 
and he'd say, I defy the armies of the living God. Send me a man so I can snap him in half and we can just call this a day. And this would be like two teams, two basketball teams, showing up to play a game. And um, the coach saying to the other coach, we're not going to play five on five. I want to take my best player and you take your best player and let's have a game of one-on-one and whoever wins, we'll call that team the victor. That's This is how the Philistines wanted to play it. But the problem was that Goliath was so far superior to anything that Israel offered that when Goliath came out, the Israelites all ran and hid behind a rock like cockroaches hiding under the fridge when the light comes on. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so David's there giving his food to his brothers, and Goliath comes out, starts beating his chest and cussing up a storm and making threats, and everyone runs and hides except David. Little David, pimple-faced, pipsqueak, voice-cracking David, 14, 15-year-old David. He's standing there, and he's looking at Goliath while everyone's writing, and he's thinking, who's this big jerk? Hey, I ain't afraid of you! Well, how could David be so bold? Well, David, after all that's done and over, and Goliath runs and, 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 and Goliath leaves and and uh, things are starting to settle back down, the men start to talk. Look at verse 25 of 1 Samuel 17. And the men of Israel said, this is just a casual conversation, Have you seen this man that has come up? Speaking of Goliath. Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will, look at here the reward, the man who kills Goliath, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, I hope she was pretty, and make his father's house free in Israel. So there's going to be liberties given to the entire family of the man who kills this giant. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is the uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, David is asking questions as a young man. Who is going to get to be the one, or what, rather, what does this man get that wins? A victory against Goliath. David is anticipating that he's going to win. You see how his eyes are not on Goliath. They're on what happens after Goliath's defeated. His eyes are locked on the future, the future, the future. What does God have in store when, not if, when this giant is killed? Look down at 1 Samuel 17, 15. We see that because David has his eyes locked on the future, then good things happen. So David prevailed over the Philistine and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. And we read that David goes and takes Goliath's sword and chops Goliath set off. Amen. And if you like war stories and you like gore and, and violence and blood, read the Old Testament. There's a lot of it there for you. Amen. Uh, but uh, David would win. Why? Because he, he had his eyes in the right place. He was looking to his future. Letter B. Letter B. Notice his fear. His fear. His future dictated his fear. Because his eyes were on the author and finisher of his faith, because his eyes were on God, almighty, all-powerful God, he did not fear the way the rest of the men did. Look at 1 Samuel 17 and look at verse number 11. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed, look here, and greatly afraid. Greatly afraid. This is what happens when our eyes are on the present problem. We fear the present problem. Look down at verse 24. 24. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they saw Goliath, fled from him and were sore afraid. Their eyes were not on the future. Their eyes were on the present. And as a result, they feared Goliath. Oh, but not David. His eyes were on the future. His eyes were on God. And as a result, he was not afraid. So David starts asking, what does the man get that that defeats Goliath? And Eliab begins to feel like his little brother David is showing him up. So Eliab takes David to the side and he reprimands him. He says, David, you didn't come here to bring us food. You didn't come here to check on the war. You came here to see blood. And you're just an overzealous little punk and you need to get lost. And David looks at his brother Eliab who had just went and hid. And look down at verse number 29. This is his response to Eliab after Eliab reprimands him. And David said, what have I now done? 
Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? What have I now done? What am I guilty of, man? For asking the question? Hey, someone's got to go kill this guy. This guy's threatening our national, um, uh, 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 our national safety. This guy is a threat to us. He's cursing out our God. Someone's got to take him on. And if you won't do it, someone's got to do it. Is there not a cause? Now, I'll just tell you here that I think what David was trying to do was get Eliab to go out there and fight him. I don't think David was trying to push to the front of the line. In fact, verse number 30 goes on to tell us that David would walk around asking everyone, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? I imagine he's getting in the face of these warriors and he's saying, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Hey, why don't you do it? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Hey, will somebody step up and fight this guy? Well, word gets around to King Saul that this teenager is going around and, you know, causing a stir and, 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 and pushing everyone to get out there and do it. And by the way, Saul, King Saul should have been the one out there. The Bible says that King Saul was head and shoulders taller than all of the rest of the men of Israel. He may not have been um, uh, Goliath's height, but he was probably closer to Shaq's height. He could have gone out there and done it, but we know from studying the Bible that Saul was a man who was constantly filled with fear. And he was focused on the present, not his future, and that would get him in trouble. So, words brought uh, to Saul, and Saul has David brought before him. So, we see that David's future, his eyes locked on his future, dictated his fear. His fear was not in man, his fear was in God. And because his future dictated his fear, his fear ended up dictating his focus. His focus, letter C. Look at 1 Samuel 17, and look at verse number 32. Look at verse 32. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, and here he's going to wave his resume in Saul's face, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. I would say David was full of confidence. How about you? David said, hey, I, you know, I've killed a lion and a bear with my bare hands. Bring on, bring on the Philistine. He's next. Now, um, how did David do that as a teenager? Can I just tell you, I don't know. I don't want to be locked into a cage with a lion or a bear. Occasionally you'll hear a story about someone who gets trapped in a zoo with a lion or a bear, and uh, it never ends well. In fact, to be locked in a cage with a lion or a bear, I think all of us in here would have a 0% chance of survival long term, right? Um, uh, not, good, not good odds. Did David wound the animal with his, with his sling? It's possible. It's possible that he wounded the animal and then killed it? I don't know. But I know this. David had his eyes on the Lord. He knew that God had him anointed to be the next king. Uh, and David knew that nothing was going to happen to him. And that doesn't mean he was living with reckless abandon, but it did mean he took his job very serious. And his job was to defend uh, his sheep and then to defend his country. Let's keep reading. Verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 38. And Saul armored David with his armor, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head, and he armored with a coat, him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, meaning he would not go, uh, for he, he had not proved it. He had not proven that armor. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. So he takes off the... The, the shield and the sword and, and, and the breastplate. He sets those to the side. Verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. 
and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now, I've heard people, you know, uh, nitpick David a little bit here and say, well, why did he pick up five stones? You know, um, didn't he trust God enough to just take one? And, and, and I just say that's silly, okay? If I was going to war I would, and I had one enemy, I'm not putting one bullet in the magazine. That magazine's going to be full. And I'm probably going to get, you know, the bigger magazine, Amen. I don't care what the state. Anyway, um, I'm going to get the full magazine. Amen. And um, uh, so David put five stones in his bag. I've heard other people speculate that Goliath had four brothers. and There were five of them total and one for each. I, you know, you're reading into things a little bit there. I, who knows why he put five in there. Uh, but David picked up five smooth stones to put in his bag for his sling to take on the giant. Now, notice David's focus, David's focus here. Because his future is, is the Lord... And what the Lord has for him, his fear is not in Goliath, it's in the Lord. And because his fear is in the Lord, his focus is on accomplishing what everyone else is afraid to do. Everyone else is afraid to do it because their focus is not on the Lord, their focus is on Goliath. Goliath. And so we see here that when our focus is right... Boy, our fear is right. Our fear is right when our eyes are locked on our right future. These things work together. Psalm 118, verse 6, David would write, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Hey, it doesn't matter if I'm five foot four and he's nine foot six. If the Lord is on my side, me plus the Lord will defeat anybody. That was his focus. Letter D, we see his future. His future. Uh, Rather, we see, I'm sorry, not his future. We see his fortress. Thank you. Um, Letter A, we see his future dictated his fear. His fear dictated his focus. His focus dictated his fortress. Okay, so picture this with me. David's getting ready to walk down in that valley. Five foot four, five foot five. We don't know exactly how tall he was, but five foot something, maybe even four foot eleven. And um, he's got his he's got his sling. He's got his rocks. And here you have Goliath, nine foot six, nine foot nine, somewhere in there. And here comes the two. And uh, you know, Goliath is a little bit offended that a child has been sent to fight him. And to that, I would say I get it. I understand. Um, another basketball reference here. I love basketball. I love to play basketball. I haven't gotten out and played in a while. But I've played basketball my whole life. When I was a teenager, I, I played six, seven, eight hours a day almost my entire teen life. I love, love, love basketball. If you were to send an eight-year-old out to play me in one-on-one and, and you were serious about it, I'd just laugh at you. Okay? You know, he's this tall. And, um, and I can miss and miss and miss and get the rebound. and He's just going to be doing this, all right, trying to get the ball. Goliath was offended that an unproven warrior that was a child was sent out to face him. He was offended. And I have to say, I understand. But what Goliath could not see was the God standing behind David. But David was going to make sure to point it out because his fortress was the Lord. Look at verse 41. Look at verse 41. The Bible says, And the Philistine came and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. How tall was Goliath? Goliath was so tall, he had another man stand in front of him with a shield to protect his lower half. That's a big dude. All right? Verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth and ruddy. That means redheaded. And of a fair countenance. Meaning, he has an innocent looking face. He's not a gruff War veteran, 43. And the Philistines said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. So, you know, Goliath's offended. He starts cursing up a storm and cursing by his own gods. And he says to David, basically, I'm going to take you. I'm going to skewer you into little pieces. I'm going to put you on a platter, and I'm going to hold the platter up for the birds to eat you. You're a dead man. You know, I have to say, if I was David and um, in this spot, I would probably, like... Need to change your clothes or, you know, I would have been second-guessing this decision. How many of you are with me this morning? 
Right? You say, not me. I'd have been there. I'd have stood strong. I'd have been just like David. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, you might be a little cocky. All right? Probably not. Uh, but man, he's not backing down. In fact, he's stepping toward the giant. Look at verse 45. Then said David, little pipsqueak, uh, pimple-faced David. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. You come with physical things, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, which thou hast defied. This day will the, will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day uh, unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Where was David's fortress? It wasn't in a sword. It wasn't in anything material. David's fortress was the Lord God Almighty. He said, you're threatening to feed me to the birds. I'm going to feed your entire army to the birds. But I'm going to start with you, big boy. And David went out there because he had it all right. Notice the progression here, okay? Put that next slide up there on the screen for me. Look at the progression here. David had his future... His focus was his future in the Lord. You can look at that one there. Amen. Um, if you can see it. I'll stand over here. There we go. The way the people here can see it. Uh, and then what happened next? He feared God as a result. And because he feared God, his focus was on God's plan for his life. And because he's out fighting the battles God had for him, his reliance was in his fortress as God. Now, hold the phone. Not quite yet, Brother Joe, all right? I'm going to show you what happened to David here. In fact... Begin to turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Fast forward the story. As a result of defeating Goliath, David is promoted to where he's in charge of the entire armies of Israel. As a young man, the Bible says over and over again, he behaved himself wisely. He would do such a great job. He would do such a great job leading the armies that uh, Saul would become jealous of him and turn David into a fugitive, and chase him all over the country out of jealousy, trying to kill him. Eventually, Saul would die in war, and after a series of events, David would be promoted to the next king of Israel. David would do great for the first little bit as king, but then David would get his life off track. Now, David would end up committing an affair, uh, committing adultery, having an affair, and then murdering the husband of the woman he slept with to cover up his sin. David's life now is defined not by Goliath, but by Bathsheba. What happened, David? I'm going to show you what happened. Go ahead, Brother Joe. He got it backwards. Second Samuel chapter 11 Instead of focusing on the Lord as his future, now he became concerned about his own physical fortress. Which led to his focus being where it shouldn't have been. Which led to the fear and a cover-up. Which led to his future being a total disaster. You see what happened here? He got it backwards. We looked at number one, a courageous kid. Number two, notice, a corrupt king. A corrupt king. Letter A. Let me give you these in, in, in reverse order. Notice his fortress. His fortress. Look, um, well, we're going to read chapter 11, verse 1 in just a moment. But let me kind of help you see how David got it right. To begin with, he, to begin his kingdom, he got it right. Chapter 5, David becomes king over all of Israel. Chapter 6, David brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Chapter 7, David uh, puts in order the future building of the first temple. Chapter 8, David leads the Israeli army to defeat the Philistines. Chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, David keeps his word to Jonathan and loves on Mephibosheth. Chapter 10, David defeats the Ammonites and the Syrians. You could say that David was getting the job done, but then David made a crucial mistake. He took his eyes off of the future that God had for his life. David would completely reverse the formula that made him successful and take God totally out of the equation. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 11 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass, 
after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle. Where was David supposed to be? He's supposed to be at battle. That David sent Joab, that was his right-hand man, his general. David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. Look here, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. You know what happened? David was supposed to be at war. That was the future God had for him. But instead of looking at his, the author and finisher of his faith, instead he fixed his eyes on his fortress. Not God, his castle. Now David had built a structure up around him. He was the king. He was a big deal. He had servants to do what he pleased and, 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 and he could have what he wanted when he wanted. And now his faith was not in God as his fortress. His faith was in himself and the fortress around him. Oh, David got it off track and David was not where he was supposed to be. And that brings us letter B, his fortress dictated letter B, his focus. His focus. Now David is not where he's supposed to be. He's not focusing on the future God has for him. He's focused on the fortress that he's built for himself. Look at verse 2. And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed. So he's got idle time on his hands. And walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness, meaning this was a time of great fertility, physical fertility for her. And she returned unto her house. Now, David's fortress became a material place built by his own hands. His focus shifted from the spiritual, his eyes on the Lord, to the carnal, the physical. David would commit a horrible sin that would lead to an even deeper pit. He's sleeping with Bathsheba while Uriah, one of his mighty men, you could, you could put it this way. If I could use American terms here, imagine that you have an elite SEAL team that is only ordered by the president that's very tight-knit with the president, and the president sends the SEAL team into the hottest battle, and then while those men are across seas, he takes one of the wives of that SEAL team, and he's sleeping with her while those men are over there fighting for the president. This is what happened. And then, as a result, now he's going to be driven to a place where he's going to have to do some cover-up. Because word comes back, hey, guess what, David? I'm pregnant. And the only man I've been with in a long time is you. There's no question who the daddy is. It's you, David. It's you. Now what's going to happen when Uriah gets home? This is bad. David's put himself in a bad spot. Letter A, we see his fortress dictated his focus. His focus dictated, letter C, his fear. His fear. Now David's made a mess. Look at chapter 11, verse number 5. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with a child. Uh-oh. Now David has a real problem on his hands. Now he needs to cover up his sin or scandal will define his rule. And this mighty warrior, Uriah, is going to be quite angry with him. So now, instead of standing courageously for his God, he is compromised in having to play cover-up. What does he do? Well, plan A was bring Uriah home from the battlefield. Hey, buddy old pal. How's it going? Hey, come in here and have a couple drinks with me. He gets Uriah all drunk. Hey, Uriah, why don't you go home and spend a couple of days with your wife? Trying to impair his judgment. Uriah was a man of such valor that he goes outside the palace and he lays down on the steps of the palace 
and he makes his bed on the steps and refuses to go home and see his wife. And someone comes back and says, David, hey, man, you know, he's not, yeah, he's not going home. He refuses to leave the steps of the palace. And so David calls you right back in and says, hey, man, what gives? Go, go see your wife. And Uriah's like, what? My brethren are dying on the battlefield and I'm going to go home and enjoy my wife? No. No. Send me back to war. I don't know why I'm here. Send me back to war. And David's realizing that his plan is not working. So he resorts to plan B. And plan, plan B was an ugly, ugly, ugly thing. Look at um, verse number 14 of Second Samuel 11. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab, that's the general, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He writes a death note for Uriah and puts it in Uriah's own hand, knowing that he's valiant enough to not open it and read it. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew the valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people of the servants of David, and Uriah the Hittite died also. How could David, who had stood so tall against Goliath, commit such a despicable crime? Now, David didn't, you know, run Uriah through with a sword, but make no mistake about it, David murdered Uriah. He murdered Uriah. He had him killed. Now, I, I, before we move on to letter D, I want to just say here, I know there are some of you in here that think, oh, I would never kill anyone. I would never do that. Can I just say this? Bump him if you don't mind, Brother Dave. Give him, give him a bump on the arm for me. I, I just want to say this. Everybody's attention up here, please. That anybody can commit any sin, saved or lost. I've heard Christians with a pharisaical, snobbish, nose-in-the-air attitude say, well, I, don't, I question whether or not he's saved. How could he do that? Does anyone here want to question David's salvation? David was saved. But David committed adultery and murder. You say, oh, I would never do that. Be careful. Oh, I've been faithful to my spouse for 30 or 40 years. I would never, ever, given the right circumstances, you could be led astray. You be careful about looking down your pharisaical nose at someone who struggles with a sin you don't. Had you grown up in their circumstances, you very well may be right where they are. How did David get off track? He took his eyes off God and he put his eyes on himself. Instead of making about the future God had for him, he made it about his own fortress. And his fortress led to a bad focus which led to sin, which led to cover up in fear. Letter D, notice his future. His future. Well, as the story goes, Bathsheba takes some time and mourns the death of her husband. And after a month or so of grieving, David brings Bathsheba into the palace and he marries her. And this is all part of the cover-up plan. It's made to appear that Bathsheba is pregnant legitimately with David's child. And I think that throughout the pregnancy, David must have felt like he got away with it. But then God sends his man Nathan, the prophet, into the palace to confront David. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse number 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives, 
into thy bosom, bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would more, moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die, howbeit, because... By this deed, thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, and uh, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And if you've read the Bible much, or you've been in church much, you know the rest of the story. David's son, Amnon, would rape his half-sister, Tamar. Well, how is David going to correct Amnon when he's... Guilty of sexual sin himself. Then Tamar's full-blooded brother Absalom would uh, seek vengeance and kill Amnon. Well, how's David going to correct Absalom? He killed Uriah. And then Absalom would bring about an insurrection against David years later that would run David off of the throne. And uh, Absalom and his men would take the women that lived in the palace up on top of the roof of the palace and would rape them for all of Israel to see out in the open air public. I want you to write this quote down if you're taking notes this morning. You can choose your sin, but you cannot choose the consequences of your sin. You can choose your sin, but you cannot choose the consequences of your sin. You see, when David took his eyes off of the future that God had for him, his sin ended up dictating his future for him. Now, I bring the sermon to a close, and I want to ask you a question. Are your eyes on Jesus and the future he has for you, or are your eyes on building up your own fortress? We want to build up wealth over here and security measures over here. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. Nothing wrong with money and nothing wrong with security features. Our eyes should be on Jesus. If our eyes are on the Lord, everything flows down from there. If our eyes are on building up our own fortress, everything in an ugly way flows downhill from there. David got it right with Goliath, but boy, he sure got it wrong with Bathsheba. You may not be sleeping around on your spouse and committing murder against that woman's husband or man's wife, but I will tell you this, all the same, you will slump, you will stumble into corruption if your eyes are on yourself and not the Lord. I wanted you to ask yourself some questions by way of close this morning. The whole sermon can be summed up like this. If you want to stand with courage, then you have to allow Jesus to lead you. Do you have some Goliaths in your life today? How many here would say, Pastor Lejeune, there are some giant problems in my life and I, 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 that I'm facing and, and, and intimidate me a little bit. If that's you, would you hold up your hand? Got some giants in my life, metaphorically, that are intimidating a little bit, Okay. No actual giants. Amen. Uh, I know Erlen is you guys' friend. That's not what I'm talking about. Amen. Um, uh, how many here would say, uh, so you would say, you got some giants in your life today? Take your focus off the giants and put your eyes on the God behind the giant. Amen. You and God make a pretty good team because he's awesome. Um, Stacy King played for the Chicago Bulls years ago. And uh, this was the day that Michael Jordan scored 59 points in a game.
in a big win. And uh, the reporter could not get, one of the reporters could not get to Michael Jordan in the locker room because, you know, he was sworn by a reporter. Stacy King was standing at the locker, and he asked Stacy, he said, what do you think about the game today? And Stacy King's report, uh, uh, comment back was, you know, me and Michael Jordan make a pretty good team. Well, Stacy King has scored one point in that game. He did a free throw. He said, me and Michael Jordan together, we put up 60 points tonight. You may not be much, but you and God make a pretty good team. Amen? Whatever Goliath is in your life, God is bigger than that Goliath by a long shot. And I would also ask you to ask yourself this question. Are you focused too much on yourself? Maybe you can learn from David. Seek God's face and ask him to help you to take your eyes off yourself and keep them on God and his future for your life. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. When our eyes are on ourselves, boy, things fall apart. When our eyes are on the Lord, things are pretty good. Which one of those orders dictate your life? Which one of those orders is it for you? Is your focus on your future? Or is your focus on building up your own fortress? You see, if your eyes are on the future that God has for you, good things are going to come. If your eyes are on yourself, your future is going to be a mess. How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, my eyes have been a little bit too much on myself and not enough on the Lord. Pastor Lejeune, would you pray for me that I'll fix my eyes on the future God has for me? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I need to put my eyes on Jesus. Who here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, maybe others don't know it, but I know it. Privately, I'm beginning to backslide a little bit. And I'm not spiritually what I ought to be. Pastor, pray for me that I'll get back in the fight. I'll get back in the fight. I'll stand with courage. If that's you, would you hold up your hand? Pray for me. I've been backsliding a little bit. Pray I'll stand with courage. Lord, help us this morning to take what we've heard and apply it to our hearts. Help us to be better for it. God, help us to be like David that fought Goliath, not the David that fell with Bathsheba. Be with the remainder of our service in Jesus' name.